So good morning, everybody, and welcome to our continuing series uh, in Revelation. And I just wanted to say, first of all, I just really love you guys. Like it's kind of, we're kind of a little quirky church in many ways, a bit eccentric, kind of. But at the same time, there's like something really special about all of you. And I guess we've been together now for nearly five years. We've had our ups and downs, we've had our trials and tribulations, and yet just still to be together. I mean, there's a lot of people waiting to get uh, away today, but to still be together after all that time and uh, and see so many of you growing, and uh, it's really good. And this week, uh, something happened as I was prepping. In fact, it'd been going on for a few months uh, where I was feeling the burden of something, but it's a good kind of burden, not a bad kind of burden. And anyway, this week, it, as I was preparing the message, I guess just to set the scene a little bit, uh, I was mowing the lawn and it came to me this horrific thing and this magnificent thing. Okay, um, So today uh, we're going to have a look at something horrific and something magnificent. And as I was thinking about this, I was mowing the lawn with my new Ego electro, electric lawnmower, which is kind of cool. It's not very loud and I was listening to a podcast and, and the same message that I've been hearing uh, by different people came through again and it just put me on my knees in the front lawn. So if you'd have driven past, you would have seen a weird person on his knees with an electric lawnmower, which thankfully goes off if you let go of the handle. Um, you would be wondering why it's so heavy and burdensome and yet so magnificent. Um, hopefully you'll see that as we go through today and I don't want to I may raise my voice now and again, I might get emotional or passionate about stuff, but right now I just want you to know that it is pretty big. It's pretty big, you know. Uh, anyway, so with that said, I want us to understand as we go through Revelation, if you'd just like to open up to Revelation 3, verse 1, I want you to understand as we go through today's passage that there is something very horrific about this. And if, if we have any kingdom spark in us, any desire at all, even just a little flickering flame of desire to serve God. It might be mixed up with other things right now. If we have any joy at all from being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if we have any care or love for God or for each other, then you're going to find something horrific about what I'm about to preach. And you're also going to find something magnificent. Now, in fact, this thing was so horrific and magnificent that I had to ring Rick and Andrew and I just asked to insert three more sermons after Revelation 5. And so you'll see the planner change shortly because they agreed. Three more sermons after Revelation 5 to really focus us on what's important as we go through Revelation. So we're going to continue through Revelation, but, and we may do this a few more times. We may in, in the future go, no, we want to just hover over a particular truth that's in Revelation, and we're going to branch out to the rest of the Bible to do that. We do that quite often. So what is this horrific thing? I'm kind of building up dramatically. <laughs> it is, though. So let, let's read Revelation 3. This is a church in Sardis in, in Asia Minor or modern Turkey, as we would see it now. And this is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray for that listening ear. Father, connect our minds to our hearts, to our actions today. Lord, remove the earwax of the world. Open us up to the grand, magnificent truths of your kingdom mission. And may we let nothing, nothing distort, distract or deny these great truths. Oh Lord, please speak. Oh Lord, I pray that you would open up your people's hearts so that I would listen and that we would obey. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. So something horrific. Like I said, if there's any kingdom spark, any desire to serve God, any joy at all from being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, then you're going to find something horrific about these verses. There should already be something in you going, wow, that's hard, that's intense, that's kind of tough. But there's also something magnificent. And this is the horrific thing of it. This is the horrific thing of it. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So this is what Jesus is saying to his church at Sardis. Now, if it was just an average Joe Blow saying, you know what, I think you're kind of dead. It really wouldn't have the import that it does when it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because we see back in verse 1 that it is he who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That is literally metaphorically saying that he has the the all-seeing, all-powerful Holy Spirit. It is also metaphorically saying that he has ultimate power. Each of those stars, you think about it, we talked about thermonuclear power and a star representing the angels of the churches. Jesus just holds them in his hand. That's who's saying this. So well, just imagine you sit down and Jesus sits opposite you and he goes, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What do you do in that moment? It's such a horrific thing to have a reputation. It's such a horrific thing to have a good reputation, but be dead. And Jesus actually says here, you're not only look dead, you look like a corpse. That's what the Greek, the original language is actually saying. You you look like a corpse, Sardis. You think you have a great reputation amongst people and yet you look like a corpse. That's the horrific thing about having a reputation of, of being alive. You know, you might have a thumping worship band giving you that reputation. You might have superb, precise doctrine giving you that reputation. Maybe it's just that you... Talk it up. You tell people that you're great. We're not really told what it was that they did to give themselves a reputation. But when Jesus, the one with blazing eyes, and so that, that literally means fiery eyes, piercing eyes that just see through all the fluff and all the rubbish, and he talks to his church at Sardis, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're a corpse. And there should be something in us that just goes, wow, my, our brothers and sisters back in Sardis 2,000 years ago, what was going on? And there should be something in us that goes, what about us? What about us? You know, earlier on in the uh, Revelation series, I asked this question from some sung questions that I'd heard from, I think it was Toby Mack, and I can't remember the other band now. But the question was, have you stopped reaching, no longer seeking greater things? Because, you know, we get foggy about what's important and what's not. 
Now, whatever happened to a passion I could live for? We have passions for so many different things. We show up by the way we spend our time on so many different things. But is that a passion you can live for and die for? Do you want to go deeper? Remember our themes that we believe God gave us this, this year, the motifs of first love first. And you remember the question I asked, do you want to go deeper, which meant do you want to trust more deeply? Do you want to hope more deeply? Do you want to love more deeply for you and your people and how the world needs it? You look around and, man, how the world needs a church that loves, that serves, that grows, that is and at its heart a trusting, hoping, loving church. You know, the horrific thing here is that all that's been pushed to the side. It's got a reputation of that. But deep down, no. Jesus says, no, something horrific, something looking like death is there. Sardis is a church dead. 2,000 years ago, the church in Sardis was proclaimed as being dead. As you know, we're looking at the seven churches in Asia Minor, the ones that John wrote his letter to. Last week, you remember what the church last week was? Thyatira. That was essentially a church contaminated. Rick did it well. He took us through and showed us that Jezebel spirit that had contaminated that church. Before that, it was a church enticed. This is a bit harder. Which one was that? Pergamum. Before that, a church afflicted. Rudgy took us that one through that one. Do you remember? That was a church uh, afflicted. That was Smyrna. And before that, which Kathy reminded us of, a church cold, a church that had lost its first love, which was Ephesus. And now we come across a church dead. And this is uh, Sardis, and you can see just down from Thyatira, and you can actually see they're in order of sort of their geographical proximity to Patmos, which is kind of interesting. That's the way he wrote it, sort of went up and then back down. And this is really important to understand, I guess, is this horrific kind of thing, because Revelation is about doing words, it's not just about hearing, it's about doing them. Where do I get that from? You might have a problem with this. Some people sometimes accuse me of legalism. Like, just accuse the scripture, because that's verse 3. I'll just read it to you. Blessed is the one, from chapter 1, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. In the ESV, I think it's do it. In the King James, it's do it or obey it what is written in it, because the time is near. And that might make you uncomfortable because you don't like the idea that faith involves doing stuff. Yes, you're not saved by doing stuff. They're just pathetic little rags. But you cannot separate faith and works any more than you can separate an aeroplane from its wings. We try and do it all the time. And you just can't. Your character, which is honed and infused by faith, hope and love as a Christian will flow out in arms and legs. That's why I prayed at the start, Lord Jesus, and I'll pray it again, Lord Jesus, connect our head to our heart, to our hands and our legs, please. So blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart or keep or do what is written in it. So how do we do these words? How do we do these words? What's really cool is when you hold up the mirror of God's word to yourself and you see that there's deficiencies, there's always hope. There's always hope. So let's have a look at how we do these words, especially when you consider that these words have the light of incoming fire, of incoming 
plagues and famines and all the rest of it in Revelation. You can't get around that. There's no way you can read and teach Revelation without teaching the horror of what's to come as the world goes through its death throes. Some, I guess, might try, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. You don't get too many happy, clappy sermons from Revelation. Most people just ignore it. We're going through it for a reason because we really want brothers and sisters in Christ to be kingdom people, to be people who who cross that finish line, who don't just have a reputation, but to the core of their character are kingdom people. So Willow Burn Sardis, let's listen to how we do these words. And it's very simple. It's to awake. It's to awake to the realities of a grand, magnificent vision. And I love it that Barb brought us a new song. Um, sometimes things come together. I didn't tell her to or anything. It just came together. You know, wake up. So there's something horrible about Sardis, but there's also something magnificent, something so cool. And again, if there's any spark of the kingdom within us, then you'll see it with me. So what we're going to do is we're just going to fast forward momentarily. And you can even, if you've still got an old uh, paper copy of the Bible, you'll see that as you flick over a few pages to Revelation 5, you'll go through one more church, which is Laodicea. Oh, sorry, two more, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then you'll go into this magnificent uh, throne in heaven, which Peter Knowles is going to take us through. Then you see around that throne spectacular scenes of rainbows, lightning, thunder, magnificent beings, powerful beings, angel beings, and they're singing to the Lamb. And in Revelation 5, 9 to to 10, this is the magnificent thing. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And you will reign on earth. Something magnificent. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, to be a kingdom. You, you made Sardis to be a kingdom. You made Ephesus to be a kingdom. You made Willowburn to be a kingdom. If I had time, I'd name every single one of you and I would say that God made you to be kingdom people. That's magnificent. That's spectacular, awesome, grand, I love words, stunning, breathtaking, sensational, thrilling, or as Becky would say, invigorating. She gave me that word once, it was very cute. Invigorating. So when we look at Sardis or we look at a church dead, what's at stake? And there's something horrible at Sardis because there is something magnificent at stake. That's always the way it is. When there is something that is so precious that can be lost or destroyed, that's magnificent and it's horrible at the same time. So when Jesus, King Jesus says this, wake up. In verse 2, go back to Revelation 3 for me, chapter 2. He says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So what's at stake here? It's your role in the kingdom, my brothers and sisters. This is, please, please listen to this. 
this is what kind of put me on my knees. This is not about reading your Bible more. Let me start again. This is not just about reading your Bible more. This is not just about coming to church more. This is not just about praying more. This is not just about having a better and better worship service. This is not just about even loving one another more. They are all important, incredibly important. What this is, is the kingdom. Jesus' very first message, does anyone remember what it was? His very first message, which he repeated. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say, repent and now read your Bible more. Repent because I've come to save you individually. That was all a part of it. What he's saying is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not just you individually, it's cosmic. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, loved who? What? The world, his precious world, the whole world. So you're not, it's not just about you and me and, and our insurance policies. God has called you to be kingdom people. Well, when I look at your faces, you know what I see? I see kingdom people. In all your quirkiness, some better looking than others, some younger than others, some fitter than others. But God has brought you together like a team to be kingdom people. That's magnificent. And that's what's at stake here with Sardis. You are, in fact, people from another land. Do you realize that? This is not your land. You are not primarily Australian. You are Christian. You are kingdom people. You are emissaries ambassadors of the king and his kingdom and the church as a whole is like an embassy you think about it you go to Canberra Becky just went to Canberra you drive past all the embassies if they were to invite you in I got invited in when I was at Duntroon to the Papua New Guinean embassy they invited me in they made this awesome meal they were all dressed in their traditional garb it was their culture within the embassy they lived it out they were living in another country, but they had their culture there. You knew with distinction that these people were from Papua New Guinea, from the food, from the way they talked, from the way they uh, ate, from the way they hugged you. I love PNG Highlanders. I've got a lot of good friends, PNG Highlanders. You don't want to mess with them, by the way. <laughs> but I knew their culture straight away. So if, if, if people then look into the church and you are ambassadors and emissaries, what they should see is kingdom culture and I don't talk about the Sunday service I'm talking about the church when it's out in the world when it's at work uh, uni and, and so forth they're at home they can look in and they can see what you value and what you hate and they know that you are distinct this is about king and and kingdom. Like I said, it was so important that I just rang Rick and Andrew. I said, I really think we need to talk more about king and kingdom, my brothers. Um, you know, I got so excited. I was talking to a precious brother yesterday at coffee and we were drawing. And anyway, I ended up scribbling. I don't draw very well and I don't write very well. But I had this bit of paper and it looked like, <laughs> it looked, you know, you see those conspiracy things sometimes. And there's like stuff drawn everywhere. And, but it was just like flowing out of me. It was like king and kingdom, king and kingdom. And I know, I know, you know, it takes a while maybe just to get it, but I just pray that, you, you know, you would just persevere to, just with me 
I'm not going to preach for ages today because I just really want us to have this resonant, um, resonating kind of thing of it's not about me. It's not just about my salvation. That's so important. What it's about is king and kingdom. So Jesus says in verse three, remember, okay, remember, far out, we forget so easily. Therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you don't wake up or come like a thief, he is relating straight away his kingdom messages earlier on when he said it's going to be like for many people as though I was a thief. They should have seen all the signs. But just like a thief comes unexpectedly in the same way, Jesus doesn't care too much about the other connotations of that. He just says, I'm coming unexpectedly. Be ready. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. I'll come unexpectedly and you will not know at what time I'll come to you. And that would be terrible not to be ready. This week, would you do something for me? Would you go towards the end of Matthew and look at the kingdom parables there? I think in most Bibles, that's what they're called. They've got kingdom. They're the ones about the, the, the 10 uh, virgins that are waiting to get ready. The wise and faithful steward. Would you go and just read those and just think about them and pray about them? So he says here, remember what you have received and heard. Now, what you've got to do here is think back through the New Testament into the Old Testament and go, what did the church at Sardis receive and hear? What, what, did, what have we received and heard? What we're going to do is just going to rewind through the Bible. I'm going to give you the full perspective of what they received and heard. And like I said, it's magnificent. It's spectacular. It's the gospel Jesus first preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in Revelation, the lamb slain, the king in heaven bearing crucifixion marks, love scars, says you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. So this is not just merely about reading your Bible more. This is about being that kingdom right now. Jesus inaugurated it. He started it. It's at work. It's growing. And he's called you to be a part of it. The thing about not reading your Bible, about not praying, not loving, serving, growing, is that the kingdom work falters, or at least the kingdom begins to, not that in his sovereignty it won't get there, but it begins to look a bit dodgy. If you say you're a Christian, you say you're a kingdom person and you look like the world, what does that say about your king? You wear his brand name. So the full perspective of wake up, as it says in Revelation 11, is the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Imagine that kingdom. The full perspective of what Sardis received, and this is going to be a fast rewind through the New Testament, we see in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That's magnificent and they forgot about it. The full perspective of what Sardis received is this from 2 Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's spectacular. All preaching in light of his appearing and his kingdom. That's spectacular. But they'd forgotten about that. They needed to remember the full perspective of what they received from 1 Thessalonians. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. This is Paul speaking, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
kingdom. That's awesome. The full perspective of what they received is from Colossians. Paul speaking again, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Darkness always refers in the scripture to evil and to sin. So there are two kingdoms at work. There is the kingdom of light, which is growing inexorably, and there's the kingdom of darkness, and that's the kingdom of lies, of deceit, of selfishness. Anytime you've experienced hurt from a person, that is because of the kingdom of darkness at work. Whenever you've hurt someone, that is the kingdom of darkness at work. Every day, every moment, you have an opportunity to live as a kingdom person for the king, capital K, or live for the king of this air, of, of this age. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's grand. The full perspective of what they received is this in Ephesians 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See what he does there? He just takes whatever there are in terms of lies, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and he says, that's not the way we roll. We kingdom people don't roll that way. We don't roll that way. We love our wives and we stick with our wives, men. We love them and, and nurture them and, 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 and serve them. We enjoy intimacy with them our whole lives because that is how we roll in the kingdom. And we enjoy true love. We stick it out. We persevere. We endure. You know, lies. We might tell lies now and again, but we get convicted by the Holy Spirit. We repent and we determine that we will not do that anymore in his power and in his strength. Maybe we're caught up in language. Later on, he talks about obscenities and foolish talk. Again, not kingdom behavior. You know what we do? We go, that's not, that's not the way we roll. We kingdom people don't roll. That's not right. Lord, Lord Jesus, through your spirit, would you help me now to live your kingdom way, your kingdom culture? And then over time, people go, how come you talk that way? You don't, you don't just swear and carry on. And, and you, you're encouraging. Hey, let me tell you about the kingdom. Clothes in Revelation, you see here in uh, the chapter to, or the section to Ephesus, it talks about clothes being soiled and contaminated. Later on, we see that the clothes are like deeds that are put on, good deeds, good works. Again, it's a part of who they are now flowing out of their faith, hope, and love. It's actually the word for uh, Nike work. Anyway, a bit of brand name placement there. Nike. But if you are you know, immoral, impure, greedy, that's just unlove, unfaith, and unhope. And Paul says, don't do that. Be a kingdom person. The full perspective of what they received is from Ephesians as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world, the culture of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you might look around and see increasing selfishness around you. You might look at the presidential campaign in the States and go, whoa, where's that going? You might look at the own, you know, the own, our own city. You might look at friends and go, wow, where are they going? But you understand this. You are kingdom people. You don't roll that way. You don't. 
You come from another land. You are an emissary, an ambassador. What an honor. You have affixed to you, and actually talks about this like names. You have the brand name of the king. What does that brand name connote? You carry the banners of the king. You on your shield have emblazoned Jesus Christ, son of God, living one. Wow. I'm saying wow a lot today. It's breathtaking though, isn't it? And so this is so functional and so practical. It's the most practical thing you can ever hear because it's as simple as this. In within your own heart, there's an opportunity to love, serve and grow. Within the workplace, at home, you're about to rise up with anger. You can feel it rising up within you. And you go, that's not the way a kingdom person rolls. Holy Spirit, oh Father, bring me power now. Bring me power now to live, to live like a kingdom person, please. And if you've, if you've, if you've, if you've mucked that up, you know what's magnificent? The way our king rolls, as it says later on here, repent. Just simply go, that's not for me. Don't, don't, don't go, no, nah, well, you know, I was, I was tired and irritated. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Just go, Lord, that was wrong. To whoever you've hurt, say it's wrong. And let people see how kingdom people roll. How about us men just start with our wives or our kids? You know, this whole thing with Donald Trump, it was just locker room talk. What you are in the dark is what you are. Just because it was hidden away in a locker and suddenly made its way to a camera and was broadcast through the whole world, what difference does that make to God? He is the one with blazing eyes. He sees Donald Trump. He sees you and me. You know, we've probably, all right, we've said things too. I've never said stuff like that about women, but I've said stupid stuff, sinful stuff. And I want to grow. I don't want to be like that. Just this week, I had to make a stand. It was hard for a conversation like that. Cockpit got pretty quiet after that. It wasn't very nice for me. But we have to make a stand sometimes because that's the way kingdom people roll. We're emissaries, ambassadors. You know, we should be able to say with a certain amount of certainty, look at me, world. This is, look at me and see an ambassador of Christ. See a different kingdom. See a different way. See a better way. See the culture of the true king who shows his love with nails and a crown of thorns, not a multi-million dollar campaign trust fund. Like, see a better way. That's breathtaking. It's sensational as well. I hadn't seen this before, but at the end of Acts, so you've got all of Acts, all the powerful moves of the Holy Spirit, and you get to Acts 28, 31, and it finishes off with these two verses. Actually, this one verse. Boldly and without hindrance, he, Paul, preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. To him, it was all about the kingdom. About the kingdom advancing, about the king. That's sensational. And Sardis had somehow forgotten and he sort of started to get a sense of why Jesus says what he says and why he's so firm about changing this and having them repent. Acts 1 verse 3, after his suffering, after Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So in the last 40 days of his life here on earth, before he was ascended, he preached about the kingdom of God. 
He started with the kingdom of God. He showed what the kingdom of God looked like. He was a miniature kingdom. In fact, at one point he speaks to the Pharisees and he says, you know, you're looking for the signs of the kingdom coming. He says, the kingdom is within you. He wasn't talking about some mystical chakra that, you know, new age thing. He was simply saying, I'm within you. I'm the king. I'm the kingdom. Watch me. Watch me. You'll see what the kingdom looks like. And didn't we see in John, didn't we see what our king looked like? I mean, how many times was he persecuted, run out of town? How many times was he harshly treated? Man, any one of us would have just fallen away so quickly. Not him. He was magnificent because he was the king. That's so thrilling. And then finally, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loved the whole world. He wants the whole world redeemed. We've mucked it up. This year, again, was the hottest year on record. We've mucked it up environmentally. We've mucked it up relationally. He wants it fixed. He's on the campaign trail. He's got a great message. He's got the means to back it up. He ain't going to stop because he loves you. He loves the world. That's invigorating. And Sardis had forgotten. And he says, remember. Let me just read this to you. Just let me read God's word without embellishing in any way. Verse 3 of chapter 3, back in Revelation 3. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Repent and remember you are emissaries. You bear the brand name of Jesus Christ, the living God, the crucified one, the resurrected one, the one who is magnificent. It's selfie time, okay? Selfie time. So we're going to take a spiritual selfie, right? And then I want you to imagine that you swipe, take your spiritual selfie, hold it up, you swipe to God's word, and there's an image there of what a kingdom person looks like. It's not my image. And what I encourage you to do is, like I said, go back to the kingdom parables of Matthew. That'll be the image of what a kingdom person looks like, ready. You might even look at the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about what it means to be a, have the culture of the kingdom there. Um, Right, hold that up, hold it up to the selfie. Only you can do this with God. Look at it and, and, and look for any uh, distortion between what a kingdom person looks like and what, a, uh, and what you look like. And wow, I just want you to know that He loves you. He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to stay where you are. You have grace where you are, but He doesn't want you to stay there, He wants you to grow. He wants you to be a kingdom person. He wants the world to look in at the church, see emissaries and ambassadors that are beautiful, that are lovely. In Jeremiah, God says this. He says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. I love this verse. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth people should look in and see kindness justice and righteousness that's a gritty kind of thing that's not a fairy floss love by any means that's a hard tough love but it's real and true and lovely take that selfie this week you know if you're serious get together maybe in twos and threes and talk more about that and with the selfie do they see the christ brand on you and i don't mean to belittle that anyway but i just mean that do they see that you belong to something else, to someone else? Or is it dulled and tarnished? 
And then listen to the loving words of the king. I'm not, I'm not going to exegete, exposit this bit. I just want us to listen. You know, you know what we do when we exegete and exposit sometimes? We kind of treat it like it's just something to be analysed. We make ourselves above it. No, no, no. I want us to kneel to this. The Lord Jesus and God have said in Isaiah that this is the one I will esteem. He who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. So let's just listen to this. You have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them, like them, like the ones that are walking already in white. So here's an opportunity for those that aren't to repent. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. So now it switches from this scene of you're a corpse and you're dead to now look to this magnificent scene where you're there, with, you're there before the throne. There's thunder, lightning, all that kind of stuff. There's magnificent glory stuff happening. There's angelic angels and beings. There's Jesus, the Son of God. There's the Father. And they say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what this is about. Look what you did in my kingdom. And you know, don't wait around. Don't wait around, my friends. Don't wait around to be sanctified enough to do this. Right now, you have the power of the living God available to you to be kingdom people. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has given us his great and precious promises so that through them we might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. Right now. You know, sometimes something happens and you know that it wasn't right and you say to yourself, as I often do, well, I'm still growing, I'm still being sanctified. That's an elemental truth. Of course you are. But do you understand right now in that moment, you have the power to make a different decision and make it better next time. Don't, don't use I'm not sanctified enough yet as an excuse. A more magnificent kingdom truth is that right now, right now, you have broadband streaming Wi-Fi connection, connectivity to the very wisdom, the very strength, the very heart of God himself through the Holy Spirit. The same spirit, as Kathy reminded us, that says, listen, he who has an ear, listen, that's the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great that even in our own kind of deficiencies, he still comes and says, listen, because he's a father, he loves us. You know, the dynamics of the kingdom are that we will love and serve and grow. That's the mission statement of our church. Johanna turned 18 this year. I'm not going to embarrass her, but there were some embarrassing photos that we pulled out and we flicked through them on a slideshow. And uh, I don't mind telling my brothers, you know, I got a bit teary because you look at your little girl. You know, I remember when she was a little baby and, you know, she'd be lying on the bed or whatever and just smiling up at you. You know, and uh, then you see her grow up you know, a toddler and then, you know, she's in primary school and, and now she's a beautiful adult. <laughs> um, you know, one kingdom would say to my daughter, you know what you should do now that you're an adult? Why don't you just go out and get roaring, raving drunk because that's such a sign of maturity. And no, no, I don't want us to laugh, seriously, because... Like, we would do the same thing. We would say the same thing if we were in the kingdom of the world. We would say exactly the same. And, and it hurts me that other daughters that fathers love just as much would do that. 
Because they're so, that, that, that comes from Satan. And what you're going to see through Revelation is these two kingdoms, these two philosophies. One philosophy say, go and do that. And how dare we look down on it? Because we'd be exactly the same. Exactly the same. We should be on our knees praying for that when we hear that kind of stuff. So there's my daughter. She's 18. That's one thing she could be told. Well, just sleep around, do whatever you want. Think about your career already now. Get, get, your, get your superannuation sorted out. You know, not, not, those things in themselves aren't that bad. But like, if that's all there is, that's not a passion you can live for or die for. What about this grand, magnificent passion of, of God's kingdom? You are God's embassy. And I'd say to my daughter, Johanna, show them the way the kingdom rolls, Joe. Show them how a kingdom person rolls. And you're not going to be perfect, babe. You won't be perfect. Like, I'm not perfect. You, you, you will struggle and you, you're going to have issues and you're going to have problems. But as you emerge out of those problems, as, as, as Jesus pulls you out, as the Holy Spirit pulls you out, they're going to see the way the kingdom rolls. It's so much more. It's so much more than just reading your Bible. You know, I, I read my Bible because I need, I need sustenance. I need life for the kingdom work. So that I might know the king better. It's not just a box ticking thing. So I would say to anyone who wants to be a kingdom person, who wants to come of age, who wants to mature, who wants to have their 18th birthday party in the kingdom, let them see you love, serve and grow. Let them see that. Because the way he rolls, as we lead into communion now, the way he rolls, far out. There's no Allah on the cross. There's no Buddha on the cross. There's no secular world atheism on the cross. There is only the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the world, the King of the universe, thermonuclear creator on the cross. That's the way the kingdom is. You ever doubt in your heart, and I say this to you, Joe, you ever doubt in your heart about the Lord? We all have doubts. We all have doubts. Always come back to the cross and think about God on the cross. Just think about that picture. It will correct so many doubts. It will correct so many lies. And think about what happened three days later. There is more evidence for that in antiquity than anything else. Any historical fact. More manuscripts, more wise men, wise people, and yet people attack it all the time. And yet think about three days later, those disciples who were powered up powered up to serve, to be kingdom people, all because of the way he rolls. It's not in you. It's not your power. We're all pathetic. We are. And yet in him, we are magnificent. That's what was at stake at Sardis. That's what it's, what's at stake for Willowburn. That's why we're going to spend three sermons on what it means to be kingdom people. So important. That's the way he rolls. We're just going to pray uh, and then we're going to invite you to come forward to partake in communion together. Let this be a time of remembering our king. This is the way we roll, kingdom people. We, we remember the Lord Jesus every, every week. If you, if you love him, if you want to acknowledge him now, he himself, our great king, said, do this in remembrance of me. So important. I'm so glad he gave it to us. We can taste, we can smell, we can um, pretty much experience every part of this. So let me pray. Father, these are weighty words, but it's a weighty message and it's a good message. It's a, it's a horrific message. It's a magnificent message. 
Oh Lord, there, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Oh Lord, help us. Make haste to save us. Make speed to empower us. For you are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, magnificent, powerful. And you have called us to a grand call to be your kingdom people. Oh God, I pray a blessing on this church. I pray that the full power of the Holy Spirit would be imbued to them. I pray, Lord, that this would not be a church that struggles and strains in its own power and barely makes it as though one escaping from the fire, but instead a victorious and triumphant. I pray, Lord, for that full power. And as we remember you, Lord, help us to remember that you are great, that you love us. Examine our hearts, you who have eyes that are piercing, that see deep into our hearts. Examine, test our anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, the kingdom way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a, have a time of silence if you like or come forward straight away. It's up to you and just uh, consider the elements, consider what Jesus has done, consider his kingdom way and partake and enjoy. If you need to repent, do that and then drink and uh, make tomorrow a new day, a new kingdom day.